0: Hi, I'm Harini. Hi, I'm Camille. And welcome back to the News Podcast. Hi everyone, welcome back to this week's episode of the News Podcast, where today we'll be carrying on with the wonderful Anastasia to be talking, unfortunately, about sexual assault in all of its forms. And today, we will be following up on the previous episode about Anastasia's own personal story by talking about rape culture globally and the way in which it permeates our culture so the top two things that we'll be thinking about in this episode will be the first half on the hashtag me too uh the movement afterwards and what it means to us and second of all the language in which we use to describe sexual assault uh ways in which maybe it's used too much and ways in which it's still stigmatized
1: just to jump right into it, if that's all right with you, um, Anastasia, how did you feel that the Me Too movement affected you? I think you mentioned when we first spoke that the height of the movement coincided with with your resp- uh, with your um, assault and your response afterwards. And I know you said you had opinions on how that affected you and your response and the way you dealt with everything following.
2: Yeah, I mean, the event that happened happened right at the height of the Me Too movement, and so you know 2016 2017 um kind of went on into 2018 i'm pretty sure the me too movement did yeah and i think that at that point in time while i did see like a lot of people of like young women come out to to claim that they had been raped or sexually assaulted there were a lot of like allegations and trials in in the media i think that also something that's important to note is that like while I do fully support like the need to movement and what it does stand for I think it's also important to point out that like how it makes some survivors feel that what happened to them is not significant enough to talk about because it doesn't fit the narrative of like the celebrity or the model in the headline news story like um, and I think I talked about this in the last episode how you have this very like black and white story that is you know sort of supposed to be like one size fits all but we know that that's not the case and i think that it kind of invalidated my feelings and i think it's also a big reason why that one woman told me that like she thought i was lying that she thought i was making it up um that i shouldn't you know say stuff like that because i think at the time there were like so many people were either against it or for it. And it was so stigmatized in every single way yep. that I thought it would be better to just shut my own mouth than to say anything, you know?
0: Well, that's so ridiculous. Honestly, and I'm so sorry that like you felt that way, that you had to, to be quiet about it. And certainly that someone told you to your face that they thought you were lying. That's completely inadmissible. And I'm so sorry that that happened, honestly. I think that I completely agree with you in the sense of it being like, at the time, it was very polarizing that people had very different opinions on it because I think that what makes me sad about the Me Too movement is, as you said, that people, number one, that people who didn't fit the kind of very black and white formulaic textbook definition of either rape or sexual assault felt like they couldn't come forward or that they they weren't valid in that respect. Um, I actually, on the back of that, it's just kind of unlocked a memory. There was a comedian who... I think is American and I think whose parents are Indian. And I remember seeing like a YouTube short or like an Instagram reel or something like that of him doing a a skit about Me Too, because of course it's perfect, you know, prime hilarious material um, about the fact that like, the way in which American women were using Me Too was so like weak and pathetic because in his parents home country of India, like women had real problems and that no one else can like complain. And I think, okay, granted, on the one hand, very different cultures, very different place, like, for for many women. I'm not going to deny that. But I think that it was, the fact that it was a male comedian comparing women's traumas with the sole purpose of putting women down and telling them that they couldn't come out and talk about other things because they've not been, like, sold into sexual slavery, it was just so disgusting. And the fact that, like, a whole audience of people was laughing about it is completely insane. So Mm -hmm. I completely agree with you that I think it a lot of people felt invalidated by it. I think for me personally, that would be more like the public's response to Me Too than the movement itself. Yeah. Because as we were saying earlier, like Me Too, the movement, the hashtag, was created by two middle-aged black women and who were then completely erased from the conversation, completely. Um, and I think that very few people even know that. I'm struggling currently now to even remember their names, which is terrible of me. Like I'm sat here on a feminist podcast talking about it. And I think that goes to show how good of a job the media and the public has done of like twisting what the hashtag MeToo actually is. Because even if we think about it as a hashtag, originally it was just a thing that people could put in their Twitter bios purely with the aim of just showing how widespread sexual assault is. And what I think is interesting is as you were saying, like when did it go on to, was it 2018 or 2019? if hashtag MeToo had an end date, does that mean that people who, who had been brave enough to actually come out and say that they've been assaulted had to, what, take it out of their Twitter bios? Like, can you imagine that day for the survivors to have to go into your Twitter and actually delete that because of how mm-hmm. much hate you've had that you're actually now going, like, almost like going back into the closet, but for sexual assault? And I think the fact that even after, after directly when the movement started, the fact it became so accepted that the kind of correct standard response was to be like well, of course I'm a feminist and I support women, but hashtag me too is going too far. But hashtag me too is a witch hunt. But hashtag me too is like ridiculous or whatever it is. When we think about like, for example, comedians, like I remember Dave Chappelle has a whole thing about how ludicrous it is. Um, like almost any male comedian you can name has a whole thing about like how insane he thinks the Hashtag Me Too movement is. And then even many women were turning against it. Like, for example, Margaret Atwood, who wrote The Handmaid's Tale, then describes Hashtag Me Too as like a witch hunt and she said it was anti-democratic. So I completely agree with you.
2: I also think that that really draws onto the topic of why was there an end date? How does a movement flicker out and become obsolete? And I think that, like you said, it has a lot to do with how the media has not only portrayed me too, but also like how our generation has spoon sped it and how we've grown up with it. I think that our generation as a whole, we are A, impatient, and also we have a very short attention span. And I think because of that and and, like literally the media itself, Mm -hmm. people just stop talking about it because there's so much noise all the time that we begin to you know, noise cancel it out it's like selective hearing and i think that's a really strange phenomenon that we've only now been experiencing in in like recent years i guess you could say and i think that has a lot sort of ties in with what you were saying about that it's so sad that people should have to like remove it from their bio mm. Or say, oh, yeah, that thing that once happened, me too, you know, so far away from today. Like, that's just so sad. What you're saying with
0: like social media and us having a short attention span, I massively agree with. And I think that that's, that is one of the things with social media is that on the one hand, it launched me too. It was linked in Twitter. And yet on the other hand, has also, it's been like a victim of its own, its own successes. But it was social media was both the success and the downfall of hashtag me too. And I think that that's, because it got lost in the noise um, and also because it gave people a platform to then complain about it and pick holes in it. um, And for that, to which I think is the problem with social media in the sense that it doesn't reflect accurately society. I don't think it does. I don't think it reflects what people's actual opinions are and I think it manipulates them. So for example, like if someone, if Andrew Tate, Dave Chappelle and anyone else who wants to make like, and you know, whoever the comedian was from earlier, if they make like a really shocking reel, about all of the reasons that they hate hashtag me too and that all of the women are lying and that gets a bunch of likes then suddenly even though there might be a million like billions more women who support me too and who want to have that content it ends up kind of all getting whitewashed out to being like valid responses to the same issue so i agree i think whether it's like a us having a short attention span or like an overload of information or social media algorithms Uh, Yeah, I agree. I think there's the issue itself and then there's the response to the issue. And then all of that, there's like the manipulation, the way that it's actually being presented to people.
2: I also wanted to um, like just mention this really interesting article that I had like read maybe, I don't know, six months ago now, but it's called What It's Like to Watch Hashtag Me Too When It Is You Too. And it's a really interesting article by Maggie Korth. And it essentially talks about exactly this, like how this movement has not only sort of sputtered out, but how the media coverage on it and how we have been brought up in it has sort of changed the way that we view ourselves, especially when it is Me Too, right? And I think that really resonated with me personally because it, it did invalidate the what happened to me and how I felt about myself in the midst of all of that but interestingly enough, it also talks about, which I think is not talked about at all or enough, which is how it also marginalizes the trans and LGBTQ plus community because we are left out of the conversation most of the time. And I think it's really, really sad because again, there's the same narrative in the media and it since the narrative focuses on like a cisgender woman, it just leaves out so many other people in our community who have most likely, you know, in the very unfortunate case, experienced exactly what many other cisgender women have, but they feel like they can't speak out about it because, again, they don't fit the narrative. And I think that people need to sort of change the way that they think about sexual assault and rape. And I think that has a lot to do with, like, Right, vocabulary that we do use, but also that it's not that black and white, and that we do live in a society where it's not always a cisgender woman and and a cisgender man. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say? So I think definitely read this article. It's it's great, and I think it brings such a lot of light onto like modern issues regarding hashtag me too Mm,
0: i agree i think just to touch lightly on that and then as like you mentioned uh, having the right language to talk about it that then leads us nicely into the the next half even though we can obviously also continue talking about hashtag me too uh in the the frame of that is that yes i remember reading an, an article about actually when i was doing research on on rape and sexual assault statistics i think for the last episode that we did um a couple of months, gosh, it might be a year ago now, that's time for really flies. about the fact that, yeah, actually more than straight women in terms of percentages, a larger percentage of people from the LGBTQ community in their lifetime will go through sexual assault or rape even more than, um like, cishet women. And I think that partly what might be leading to that manipulation and that abuse of power is that the fact that we still... I mean, okay, obviously, there will be always be people who complain about the fact that, like the LGBT flag is everywhere and like pride is too big and that like it's being shoved down our throats or whatever, like all this having to agree with being gay and all this, you know, completely nonsense I don't agree with. But I think that one of the issues with that is that then when people realise that they are queer and they realise that they're not heterosexual, they then have to start from scratch and they actually have very little base, like safe basis to find that on. And therefore when you're a teenager, you're finding yourself you're by yourself and you don't actually t- can't talk to the adults in your life because you don't feel like they would understand or fully they've told you that they don't understand then yeah, of course you're then like you're then ultimately in a super vulnerable position. Um, so like it's, it's hard and it, like, so it didn't, it didn't actually surprise me when I read that, that actually it's a higher proportion of people who are, who are LGBT, who are actually affected by it than, than straight people. Um, Because yeah, they're by themselves, especially when it comes to sex and like, Sexual education, for example, the fact that I mean queer sexual education is banned in plenty of schools, even in the UK, let alone in the United States. So, like, of course, within we're leaving them out in the dark and expecting them to navigate it. So when you're by yourself and you're young, you're a teenager often when people like realize that they're having that they're not in the right body or that they're, you know, trying to conform to a sexuality that doesn't represent them, and you're throwing them in to start talking about and also having sex. But yeah, of course, it's absolutely like a bomb waiting to go off. Um and so, so I agree with you massively. And I agree with you that um a huge amount of people are underrepresented when we talk about sexual assault and and rape.
1: No, but I feel like, yeah, no, I completely agree. But I think it I think that, that links more broadly to critiques of feminism just just mm-hmm. as a movement itself, not just Me Too, all about like the politics of visibility and how on one hand, yeah, like movements like Me Too are are, are trying to make voices and stories heard and shining light on how sexual assault and rape are like systemic issues and like you're saying it's only some voices and some stories that are are heard and with the greater visibility comes those issues of of backlash and vulnerability and stigma that survivors anyway have speaking out with what you said about the comedians and stuff before i think it's just sad that we continue to marginalize people that are already marginalized within movements that's like meant to be empowering and, and
0: yeah, just as one, like, I know that I said I was going to have, like, a final point, and then I always do this, and then I always go back and speak support, so I'm sorry. But, um, yeah, with that's why well, I think it also goes back to, like, as we were just saying before, that there's the meeting movement, and there's, like, it's warped variations, because, ne- obviously, never at the beginning of the Me Too movement did the women who found it go, by the way, if you're trans, you're not included. By the way, if you're queer, we don't want to hear from you. Like, of course, exactly. that wasn't the outset, and they never came out and said it. It's the way in which... The media has then chosen to portray only certain things, and the way in which, like quite often, the men who have had problems with it will only pick out certain things, and then everyone else gets like gets left behind. Uh, yeah, so I agree with you. So I don't think it's the fault of the movement. I think it's the fault of the way that it's been handled afterwards.
2: No, hundred percent. Yeah, I also think like just to add something quite personal, actually. um But hopefully, I'm not the only person who experienced this because that would make me feel very validated. <laughs> I think I mentioned this in the last episode, like this internalized misogyny mm. after you sexually assaulted or raped, you internalize, you you become aware of your body, right? As something that is sexualized. 100%. And because of that, you internalize the the person who is sexualizing you. And I think, especially as a child, <laughs> in my completely undeveloped mind, like I didn't know how to make sense of that but i think also like what society tells you like these stories in the media woman man like the whole story built around it was very i guess destructive to my early years as a kid and i think i had to refine my own sexuality throughout the last nine years yeah like i didn't even know what that was as a 13 year old you're supposed to slowly grow and you know experience things and hopefully sort of flourish into yourself right and i think that sometimes i sort of feel regret and sad about what could have been like what how could i have grown up differently or and and found myself a bit better had i not been sexually assaulted and i think that like it took a really long time for me to discover my sexuality um, and even speak about it. Like, I didn't even know how I felt about it. I was just like, yeah, I guess that's sort of it. But I never said it out loud. There was no, like, coming out. Like, there was none of that. But I think it's because I was so afraid because I was sexually assaulted. Mm. This And this is, like, the most contorted part of my brain. Like, how is it possible that, like, this disgusting old man wanted, like, sexually assaulted my body But because he was like, because he was a man, does it make any sense? Like this, like this gender dichotomy, it kind of ingrained itself into my brain through trauma. And because of that, it left a large mental block in my mind regarding my own sexuality. I think that was like the the way that I want to put it. (laughs) Um, And I'm, and I'm just hoping that like, maybe someone else has experienced that.
0: No, you're not alone, babe. I've got your back. Um, I massively agree <laughs> with you. I think think that it's so heavily impacted with sexuality. And I think sexuality in both in meaning in terms of who you're attracted to, in terms of whether you're like queer or not, and also sexuality in terms of just having any kind of libido or sexual interest at all. As you say, like, it it impacts that part of your brain so heavily that now it's always going to be linked to that. And it's the same thing with, like, impacting your sexuality. Like, I become more of a lesbian the more that I read the news. (laughs) But it's true. Like, (laughs) the more that I read about horrible things that men have done and the more that men do annoying things to me, the more I'm, like, I'm more unattracted to them as a whole because I'm like, well, you're just going to turn out to do this, Mm -hmm. aren't you? You're just going to turn around to do this. So then it makes me like reach more towards women. And so I feel like I'm gaslighting myself into my own sexuality because like, there shouldn't be this much thought. It's meant to be like, it's meant to be just how you feel. And yeah, I think that when you're post, like when you're a survivor of sexual assault, everything to do with sex is something that you have to think once, twice, three, four times about before even considering. So you end up like your sexuality becomes something that you've like academically engineered yourself into this is the decision you've made going forward. Um, and it be- for me, it's just become a kind of like risk and reward kind of thing. Am I going to risk dating men? No, probably not. Okay, that leaves me with women.
2: Okay. I also think that you yeah. become very cautious, like when deciding to do something oh, yeah. sexual at all. Like like you said, like you over fixate on the very minute details and like how cautious to be mm-hmm. and like what type of person and like it just becomes hyper fixation. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so the next thing that we were going to talk about um, is the way in which we use the terms uh, rape, sexual assault, sexual harassment. Anastasia, did you want to say your point on that? And then yeah. Harini, you also have something to reply, I think.
2: Um, I mean, I think that we all say this. Like, we want to destigmatize, like the conversation about rape and sexual assault. We want it to be more widely spoken about, but we also don't want people to just sort of throw these words around lightly because this isn't a light subject. And I think we can't we can't like survivors of sexual assault. we can't just keep thinking, oh, what happened is insignificant um, because we do have every right to the feelings that we have um, post what happens to us. Um, and so for us for us to use the words sexual assault and or rape, um, are is already so difficult, like it's so strenuous for us to use those words at all. And so I think that we should all be a bit mindful, especially of like how we speak about these topics and like how we use the words in certain contexts. And because I think that I personally have had experiences where like, the, the term sexual assault has been sort of used very lightly in insta- instances where it couldn't entirely be that case. And I think it sort of hurt me very personally in a way that I didn't think it would, only because, like, I wish, like, I don't wish, I mean, I'm hoping that people would be more aware of, like, the magnitude of these words, like, how, how, how real and how deep the 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 experience behind those terms that they they're using are um but yeah did you guys have like a sort of a second opinion on that one (laughs) I mean no when we were talking about this before I was saying that I was so completely horrified
1: by the fact that people would use those words flippantly because I had just never never come across that before because at least in my friendship circles and things like that it I felt the opposite like what you were saying before about these words being so heavily stigmatized that that when I've had friends who have had these like horrific things happen to them, they'll describe it in words that are really like, I'm, I'm gonna say flowery, because they're trying to make it seem less significant than it actually is for the fear of using these really big words. And like, especially when you start, like I think within sexual assault, especially, I think rape, I mean, the definition is is, I mean, we can define it as like, okay, penetration without consent, things like that. Whereas assault, there isn't a set definition, right? um and so when lots and lots of things fall into one category of word when your thing seems like slightly I guess like less significant than something else it could also fall into that word you don't want to use the word um and so yeah I was saying before that I think the stigma is again within the circles that I've fallen into like that that outweighs the using it flippantly I just think it's crazy that someone would just throw it around and not I think both are bad I mean I think we should use the word a lot more and and it should describe what it is set to describe. I don't think it should be either way. But yeah, that was what we were talking about
0: before. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that by having open, honest conversations, we then reach like that, that that perfect middle ground that that we need to have women, as you say, feeling empowered enough to actually need say the term if they need to. Because I agree with you, Harini, that like I definitely agree it's a massive problem that women feel like they haven't done. And it leads back to what Anastasia, you were saying before about Me Too. Women, a lot of the time, don't feel like they've almost earned the title of having been sexually assaulted, of being able to say that they are a survivor. They feel like they haven't gone through enough to be able to say that. And also, on the one hand, like they don't want to use it flippantly and they're so worried about that they don't even use it when they need to. And also because it involves coming to terms with the fact that it's happened, using that word against yourself, it's like an out-of-body experience. And you're like, oh my God, that is like my mother's daughter, my sister's sister. Like you realize really truly yeah. who you are and the fact that it's happened. Um, so yes, yeah, so I think that there's a lot of women who avoid using it. To use the example that when we were just like planning out this episode that I used at the time for context to also back up Anastasia's point, however, that it does sometimes get used in a ways that is ludicrous. Um, was that when we were in sick form there was a younger man who deemed himself a prize feminist true ally of women and I'm sure still does and yet unironically to describe something as being bad something that he didn't like rather than being like that math lesson was terrible he would honestly come up, come up himself with terms of phrases such as like I would rather be like raped by barbed wire I would rather be like I would rather have, I mean, I can't even repeat some of these because I hate the fact that it's coming out of my mouth, but like, I would rather like... Okay, okay, Mm. I actually can't repeat them, I'm sorry, but they'd be like describing oral sex, anal sex, rape, sexual assault, all these things like without consent, and he would go into like detail about the kind of person, the kind of thing that he would be penetrated with, whatever, right? And he would genuinely come up with these similes himself, just to get like a shock reaction, just to get someone to laugh at what he was saying. Um, and I think it's because this is still a person who is seen as like an upstanding, like a good citizen, a good pupil, a big feminist, all these things. And so I agree with Anastasia that there are genuinely people who believe themselves to be feminists and then will use words like that purely to get a shock out of people and also I agree with Harini that like there's also when it actually when it's a genuine true survivor of it it's then actually genuinely hard to use the term yeah as I also be.
2: think like I I think I deeply resent people who do that 100%. because because it's because it's because it's not a joke at all and mm-hmm. y- like you shouldn't be getting attention like stop trying to get attention by you know trying to get reactions mm-hmm. out of people by the things that you say like shut your mouth <laughs> yeah I agree I think it's revolting yeah and and also like just to go back on like the language that we use I think there's like a lot of and I think like Harini said like maybe one of the issues is is that we have like one term sexual assault that is sort of the all-encompassing and so it's like where are those little gray areas like where do we draw the lines and like, but for example, like if you have experienced verbal harassment, like can we put that in the category of sexual assault? Like there's these types of questions, yeah. right? And so, and it's not to invalidate like the magnitude of what happened at all. Like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that maybe we should think carefully about how we describe the events that have happened to us with consideration to others. Um because i think that's there are gray zones unfortunately right where where there you know it could lead to miscommunication or hurt for for one party or the other so um i think you know there's a lot of other words that we could use like harassment mm-hmm. um molestation there's you know grope like there's so many other words that fall under that category um so you know and but like Harini said like it's even really tough for us to say these things um so um i i do i do like want to sort of emphasize that we should just really be aware of of the language that we use and definitely not use them to get reactions out of others no, i remember <laughs> yeah sorry uh, no, you you can go
0: just- mm. Oh, no, I promise I'll actually be quick this time was just to say that actually just something that's come to mind that as you say like in terms of having the terms and distinguishing um we have first second and third degree murder mm-hmm. we have first second third degree burns but we don't have first second third degree rape assault and harassment even though obviously yeah like for example when I think about like the worst rape case that I've ever heard in my life would be I think it was like the New Delhi bus rape oh my god which was like years ago horrifying situation in which like massive trigger warning in which like a woman basically was by herself on a bus. So I think six men came and like brutally raped her with like a metal pipe in which it basically cut her in half from the inside. Horrible. The difference between that and being in bed with someone that you're dating and you not being comfortable enough to say no and them sleeping with you anyways, is huge. They're both rape. They're both terrible. They're both assault. Like they're both traumatic but obviously they're different. And I think it's because we recognize that they're different, it then becomes that's when we start invalidating one. Um so yeah, so I think for just to use that the sort of horrible example, that there are there are such different variations because it happens to so many women. I mean, 97% of women in the UK have been sexually harassed. But we don't even know what that means mm-hmm. because that involves so many different things. So I agree. I think we've got first, second, third degree of everything else. We should put it for all three categories of assault, assault, harassment, and rape as well. Yeah, I understand. I agree.
1: I know. I was just gonna say before. Like, I remember this is like it links to me. But I remember the first time I got grouped in a in a club. Right, the first thing I did when I got back was search up. Did I just get assaulted? Like I was like, does this count? I was like, what, what do I say? And this is like around the time that again the 97% statistic was going around, and I didn't know if I fell within it or not. And the only reason why I searched it up was because it caused like a huge like re-evalu a re-evaluation of myself. I was like, oh my god, like if I count, then that means this this, this is this. And it was like crisis inducing almost, right? Because suddenly like who I am before isn't who I am after. And then I think sometimes having that label to attach to yourself yeah it does it changes everything like if you count as a survivor if you don't um but yeah that was my point
2: i think the point that i actually really do want to get across is that through these podcasts is that i mean despite the differences in terminology or you know the magnitude of the vent or the vent itself no matter you know any of those sort of stipulations like the trauma that precedes any of those Um, And the feelings that we all individually have as survivors um, are all valid, completely valid um, and unique to all of us. And we are completely, completely validated in feeling these things and experiencing all that comes after um, um, a case such as using the blanket word sexual assault or rape, um, because there are so many, so many different things that we all experience post-event um, that, that we will definitely get into in the next um, episode. Um, but yes, so despite everything that we've spoken about in the episode, I just want to make clear that, like, we are all validated in this discussion. Um, and, and because of that, like, we can destigmatize the topic,
0: thank you so much for listening this week if you enjoyed this episode or you would like to appear on one we would absolutely love to hear from you you can email us at admin at newslandon.uk, or more likely you can dm us on our instagram at news underscore ldn and all of these episodes are available to listen to on every single streaming platform out there or can be found along with our blog our gallery and our hype page on www.newslondon.co.uk have a good week